Coming to you via the internet and your friends at PipesMagazine.com, it's the Pipes Magazine Radio Show. The show with the host that got thrown out of Disneyland one time because apparently Chip and Dale don't like people trying to grab their nuts. Now, I invite you to sit back, relax, the smoking lamp is lit. Here's your host, Brian Levine. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Pipes Magazine radio show. Yes, the sometimes irreverent, sometimes educational, but always entertaining weekly pipe smoking broadcast. And I am your host, Brian Levine, uh, coming to you way pre-recorded because I'm traveling on the road again. And uh, and I gotta and I gotta advise you right now, tonight's show is going to be a little bit different format because I'll explain in a minute. Uh, in tonight's show, in uh, pipe parts, we will have another Ask the Pipe Maker segment with Jeff Grasick. And then, uh, because I've got about uh, 20 minutes of the last bit of story times with Mike and Mary McNeil, uh, you'll have that uh, in the third part of the show. In the second part of the show, I will answer a listener question. And then we'll have uh, some uh, musical entertainment or entertainment of sorts, a mailbag and a rant, all that coming up at the end of the show. So... Stay with us. Stay all the way to the end. There's some uh, a lot of good stuff. And, oh, boy, have I got a rant for you. Oh, boy. Anyway, yeah, so I'm back on the road again. I'm back down in Florida visiting with my son and uh, my father-in-law is there. So uh, we decided to take the week and um, get out of here. We couldn't get out of here soon enough because it got really cold here. Not as cold as all of you in the... Uh, northern part of the country northern central uh my friends in chicago and wisconsin illinois i feel for you uh anyway uh but that's going to play a part in the uh question that i answer after the ask the pipe maker segment so we'll uh we'll talk about that uh in the meantime li- listen if you are traveling anywhere if you're gonna if you're going on vacation anywhere let me know brian.levine at mei-travel.com friend me on facebook send me a message i guarantee you i can help you out uh, if i can't help you i'll give you some free advice and uh, using my services doesn't cost anything and like this recent cruise that i booked for a couple this weekend i found them a uh, found them some uh, discounts of about 150 dollars and two free upgrades uh so Hit me up on any anywhere you're going. doesn't matter. Whatever you're doing, if you're traveling first, let me know. And if worse comes to worse, I can advise you on uh, where to smoke and the, the smoking restrictions where you're going. So, all right, let's get the show rolling. Everybody sit back, relax, fire up a bowl. Thank you all for tuning in, and here we go. There's nothing quite like working in my shop or smoking my genuine Missouri Meerschaum corncob pipe, an American legend since 1869. It's the coolest, smoothest pipe I've ever owned. Check them out at corncobpipe.com. And we are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show, and joining us for the Ask the Pipe Maker segment is the pipe maker, Jeff Grasick. Jeff, thanks for coming back. Thanks for having me, Brian. So here's your question, and and it may this this one may be more of a discussion for both of us, but I thought okay. it was interesting. Uh, well, hit me. 
Greg Selman writes, I recently bought an older Savinelli 7003-7003 Levat with a Meerschaum line bowl. Uh, there's not much more than a few opinions online regarding this type of pipe. Just wanted to ask the pipe maker and the host in parentheses. I'm, somebody included me. I feel kind of touched. Aww. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, their opinions, pros, cons, etc. And how exactly is the Meerschaum lining installed during the pipe making process? Uh, I, he says, I've only smoked it once, thus haven't formed any definite conclusions. But the bowl of Orlick Golden Slice really popped, more so than any other briar or cob I own. So, all right, let, let's start off with the part that you might have a clue or have, a, have some insight into. I might have a clue. You give me a lot of credit. Well, you got more of a clue than I do because... Uh, <laughs> we'll if, see. Yeah. So we go back to the 19, you know, what, 1940s, 1950s, and you know, I would see in the estate pipes in the 60s and 70s, you'd see a lot of Meerschaum-lined pipes. And in fact, in, yeah. the, in the 1970s, 1980s, I have about four or five Meerschaum-lined briar pipes that were sold at Walt Disney World, and they got my little Mickey Mouse stamp on them, so I'm thrilled with them. Sure. Um, I've never smoked them. I just sit there and look at them. Uh, all right, you know, why would, how do they do that? First, let's start off with how do you, how do you think they do that? Because obviously there's no, uh, there's no, uh, Jay Allen pipes, and I don't think that the Allen brothers aren't doing any Meerschaum lined pipes. No, we're not. We're not. Yeah, that. I mean, that's a really good question. Uh, it's one that honestly I would like to to have a, a definitive answer on because I've never done it. Um, but I suppose the thing that makes the most sense to me is, I mean, obviously they they drill uh, a much larger hole than is is uh, typical in the briar. Um. And they insert a Meerschaum plug um, that's, I would assume, is pre-drilled, um, but I can't be certain. Um, and uh, then they use some kind of adhesive. I mean, it's got to be some kind of heat-resistant uh, adhesive to uh, make sure that that lining doesn't come out. Um, I wonder what they might do because a lot of the adhesives that are typical, if if you use epoxy or super glue, when those heat up, they do tend to loosen uh, and they can generate, they can off gas a kind of aroma, which to me would, you know, make your <laughs> smoking experience less than pleasant. Uh, maybe that was the special uh, pop that he experienced in his golden slices. Who knows? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> with the, with the essence of, uh, what was that? Remember that rubber, oh. that rubber super oh, glue Loctite. stuff? <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Well, remember the remember the rubber cement that used to you know had a screw off cap and <laughs> yeah, the that's... and the little wand on it. And you could make bouncing balls out of it. Yeah, maybe that's maybe that's what they use. Who knows? Yeah. So why but... don't we why don't we do an experiment? We can uh, we can line a pipe with rubber cement, or we can attach a meerschaum bowl to uh, a briar bowl with rubber cement. There you you go right ahead. Let me know how it worked out for you. Okay. Uh, okay. Because <laughs> if I tried it, it would look like an ashtray. Because um, everything I've made but, ends up. But how would it smoke? Well, that's the important. Thing. <laughs> the ashtray would hold the tobacco just wonderfully. That's good. That's good. <laughs> um, so, but again, you're so you're thinking that the um, the Meerschaum was. Were you thinking that the Meerschaum bowl was shaped separately and then put in there, or was a plug of Meerschaum put in and then the bowl of the Meerschaum drilled out once it was in there? 
You know, I don't know. In a factory setting, uh, it, it could be either one. The one that uh, I can't even remember what I uh, just said a few moments ago, but I think <laughs> the one that would actually make the most sense to me now that I'm thinking about it is is for a, uh, a Mearsham plug to be put in because these classically shaped pipes, uh, billiards, Dublins, um, apples, everything, these are turned on a lathe. They're turned by machinery. Yeah. And um, the easiest way to make sure that everything fits all together is to, to do it all to 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 put the parts together and then create the shape um so i'm assuming that's what they do um i I, you were asking um a question or we we were talking about something before we started recording brian about doing the opposite doing a a meerschaum bowl with a a briar um yeah uh, with a briar bowl on the inside and it's funny uh, for me my thought with that is that that would actually that the briar expanding and contracting would probably break the meerschaum, um, the, the meerschaum outside of it. But for some reason, I don't feel like this, the same would take place with the meerschaum inside the briar. These are all things that pipe makers have to think about when they're making things like, hey, here's a cool idea, but will it perform well and will it break? <laughs> yeah. um, so, so my my limit my limited abilities to construct anything, including a comprehensive sentence. Um, <laughs> include the fact that I am, I look, I, I know where the oil is in my car. All right. But I pay somebody right. to look at it professionally. Um, with Mearsham, one of the, you know, one of the thoughts was as we were, as I was looking at this question beforehand was, mm-hmm. you know, there's, there is block Mearsham and then there's the, and then there's the raw Mearsham or the, and then the, right. Fake, like the, the pressed Mearsham, right? Yeah. The pressed Mearsham. So what if they liquefied or, you know, made the Mearsham into a putty of some sort and, you know, obviously cut the bowl shape out of the, made the pipe all the way except mm-hmm. left the bowl a little larger than what they wanted and then poured this stuff. And they had like a, you know, maybe one of those large turkey basters, you know, with the bulb <laughs> on the end and, and just shot a load of Meerschaum in there and it naturally would form the shape and then adhere to it. And then they'd go back, drill the bowl and aim for the draft hole. But, but, right. but again, I'm just, yeah, I'm picturing just, just spitball in here. <laughs> I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm thinking that, you know, there was that one room in Willy Wonka's chocolate factory where they didn't show you the Oompa Loompas making Meerschaum lined pipes. Um, right. Yeah. No, they, they didn't because, uh, you know, then you'd know the Turkey baster secret. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, I, yeah, uh, I don't, I don't think that's how, I mean, uh, I am no expert on Meerschaum pipes at all. Uh, I've only smoked a few uh, before, but my understanding of the material itself is that um, in order to um, in order to make these this composite Meerschaum, it's not like they're grinding it down into a paste, uh, you know, mixing it with water and then pouring it into a mold. I think um, I think probably what it is is that it's it becomes somewhat flexible when it's um, uh, when the moisture is added to it and however they make the block, they're probably just pressing, uh, these pieces together, uh, under like under higher pressure. So using that, they can probably press it into a form, um, which is how they would make these bowls. I would imagine, um, in a factory setting. So they would, they would composite, they, they would use the composite Meerschaum to, uh, Put, to put them into a form. I can't really imagine them doing block Meerschaum. It just seems like it would be a little too labor intensive. <laughs> yeah. Well, and and then on a serious note, I, I will say that, I know, hold on, I'll be serious for a minute. Um, 
the the idea of you know Meerschaum's got its own smoking qualities. It's got a very dry, very neutral, and somewhat forgiving characteristic to it. Sure. So you take that, you get the you get the Meerschaum experience inside of a briar bowl, which the briar is dramatically more durable and more uh, you know deals with heat better and mm-hmm. yeah you know, just less fragile to dropping than the Meerschaum is so you get the yeah you get that Meerschaum experience on the inside and then you get the benefits and durability of the briar on the outside got uh, it you know so mm-hmm. it, it might be a you know, might be a valid option for uh, you know for something of the future but obviously it was done 40 50 years ago and it's not done a lot now so i'm guessing there's not a lot of demand for it I mean, that could very well be the case. And I think, uh, you know, you're, you you reflected your experiences with these pipes um, as estate pipes earlier um, in the episode. We That's been my experience as well. Typically, they're, they're relatively or extremely low-priced pipes that you, you find in estate piles. Um, and I wonder if maybe they weren't um, lower-priced pipes initially, but we've just come to associate them as such because that's where we tend to find them. Yeah, and it's and like you don't the, see any higher end makers using the materials like that. Well, and you go back and you know it could be like the leather wrapped pipes. Those might have been a higher cost pipe than than something with good straight grain on the outside of it. But now we right. look at it as a well. I don't think I want that, but anyway. yeah, it's a way to cover up flaws. Well, that was a uh, wonderful Ask the Pipe Maker segment, although more opinion, but still interesting to dig into. And uh, Jeff, thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me, Brian. And we'll be back in just a minute. This is Internet Radio. I'm Jeremy Reeves, head blender of Cornell & Deal Pipe Tobacco Company. At Cornell & Deal, we think the best things in life are better with age, and we are passionate about creating the best possible pipe tobacco available. Fueled by this passion, we introduced the Cellar Series, a collection of blends like no other. While the blends in this series are ready to smoke now, each one has been meticulously designed to optimize depth and complexity as the tobacco ages in the tin. Currently, the Cellar Series is comprised of Oak Alley, Chenay's Cake, Joie de Vivre, Old Grove, and Bourbon Blue, but we will be unveiling new additions to this very special series as time goes on. Pick up a tin to smoke now and save a few for later enjoyment so that you can experience all the richness and subtlety each blend will reveal through the years. Cornell and Deal's Cellar Series. The secret ingredient is time. Contact your local or online retailer for information. And we are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show. And uh, if you have any questions for the ask the pipe maker for jeff you can email him to me brian at pipesmagazine.com that's brian with an i uh no question in my name no wise uh all right so instead of jumping into our normal interview because the remainder of the mcneil stories is only about 20 minutes long i thought i'd take a chance and and answer this question from jason smith who jason sent in a lot of really good stuff to me and i really appreciate it uh Jason said for a pipe parts segment, uh, smoking outdoors versus indoors. All right. So let me, let me, uh, let me start off with the conditions. So when I smoke outdoors versus indoors, 
I want to make sure that I've got a more durable pipe. Uh, I want to make sure that I, if I, you know, if I don't have a good flat, solid place to sit it down, I want to make sure that I've got something to use as a pipe stand or some place to rest it where it's not going to get scratched up or dinged up. Um, I also want to make sure that, you know, especially this time of the year, I don't want to leave the pipe outside. All right. You, yeah, you heard Jeff talk about briar moves and stuff moves. Well, you really don't want to expose the pipe to, uh, you know, to dramatic temperature changes. So yes, a pipe can handle being in freezing weather, but you know, if you don't have to, when you're done with it, just let it cool down and then take it back inside so that it's so that it's not smoldering or smoking anymore, but you can carry it inside and take it into a more temperate place. Uh, again, some of the problems that you'll have is when it gets, when stuff gets cold, uh, you might have a stem, you, you might have a tenon mortise that starts to contract. If you have any uh, shank adornments like, uh, like bone or anything like that, that can crack, uh, you know, again, you just don't want to, especially in this really cold weather that's been going around the country, you, you don't want to leave your pipe sitting out there in the cold. You really don't want to leave your pipe the, you know, too much that you're, you know, leave it sitting in a car, especially if it's cold. Yeah, just make sure that whatever you're doing, you got a durable pipe. So again, I look for when I'm outside in the cold or even in the heat, I'm looking for a more sturdy, more solid pipe. Something, uh, something that's you know that's got enough wood around the shank and stuff like that. I'm not going to take my real delicate pencil shanks or stuff like that out there. Um, smoking outdoors can, uh, you know, you you can experience some wind. Uh, you can experience some rain. So you want to be as sheltered as possible from the wind. You don't want to be in, you know, you don't want to be facing directly into the wind because then whatever's in the bowl might get a gust of wind and blow up onto you. That's where those little metal, uh, the little metal bowl caps with the little screens on them come in handy because then you can light your pipe pop that little metal screen on there and you can buy them on smoking pipes. I think they're two or three bucks. Uh, and they've got a little, they're, they're all spring loaded and they, and they just kind of grab inside the bowl, but you can put that on and that'll stop the ashes from blowing around. Uh, one of the problems that I've run into, especially with smoking in the car is because I tend to crack the window. Uh, and I have the smoke exhausting out one, you know, the driver's side window the cake will start to build up on that side of the pipe. So I have to be careful and sometimes I'll crack the sunroof and then the, then the smoke will be going straight up. But you gotta be careful of how the wind affects your pipe. Uh, smoking indoors, you know, fine, do it wherever you can. Uh, do it wherever, wherever possible. In fact, I kind of prefer smoking, I, I obviously prefer smoking indoors more than outdoors because when you're in a closed-in environment when the air is not moving, not only do you get the taste coming off the pipe, but you get another chance to really get the aroma coming off the bowl. Uh, you kind of get that room lingering of the smoke, so the smoke's not going anywhere. 
Uh, I was talking to uh, Russ Hicks uh, about a week ago, and he likes to be where he can blow a perfect smoke ring. That's the amount of breeze that he likes. That's yeah. You know, he only wants to be able, he wants to be in a room where the air is almost perfectly still with a little bit of movement, because he likes to be able to. Uh, it helps him control his pipe, but it also helps with the room aroma and the experience coming off the nose. Um, uh, you know, and and that's you know that's all personal preference, but I I will say that you know if you're smoking outside in a hot humid temperature like uh, like we have here in the southeast during the summertime, you're going to get a little bit wetter smoke. Uh, you're gonna, you know, there, there's moisture in the air, and when the moisture hits the heat, it starts to condensate. So you're gonna deal with a wetter smoke during a more humid time. So make sure you have plenty of pipe cleaners with you to run them up and down the bowl uh, during the humid times. Uh, if you if you're going to Las Vegas or something like that, again, you want to be careful of leaving your pipe sitting outside, especially uh, like. Uh, like uh, Brad, our friend that lives out in Vegas, or any of the Vegas pipe guys, you know, you leave your pipe sitting outside, and it can be sitting in sunlight, and that might get up to 140, 150 degrees during the summertime. Well, that's just not good for any part of the pipe whatsoever. Uh, the pipe was already cured, so you don't want to you don't want to blast furnace cure it again with any more heat like that. Uh, you want to keep it in the shade, and then again, when you're done smoking it, get it inside. Um, but again, uh, my the worst nightmare for me is trying to smoke my pipe on a, in the breeze. Yeah, ob yeah, obviously the wind just moves the smoke around. It makes it hard to light with a lighter or with matches. Uh, it just makes it, the wind is not your friend. It can run the risk of burning out a pipe, so you want to try to be as sheltered from the wind as possible. And my biggest concern with being outside is you know, just dealing with the uh, dealing with the ambient temperatures of outside. All right, I appreciate Jason sending that in. If you have any comments or questions, you can post them on the Pipes Magazine radio show page on PipesMagazine.com, or you can email them to me directly, Brian at PipesMagazine.com. Um, go on to Facebook, follow me, and you can send me messages. I got a lot of a lot of guys that. We uh, chat all week long on uh, Facebook Messenger. And in just a moment, we'll be back with the uh, final 20 minutes or so of the story times with uh, Mike and Mary McNeil. Smokingpipes.com has been my family's tradition for over 10 years. My granddad enjoys his evening pipe on the front porch. My father prefers his in the study, and well, me, I like to hang outside the local coffee shop with a pipe in one hand and my smartphone in the other. The best selection is at SmokingPipes.com. They always have the exact pipe I'm looking for. Savinelli, Peterson, Dunhill, and great stuff from dozens of top artisans around the world. Plus, they have over 70 tobacco brands with 750 blends to choose from. Lighters, tampers, tobacco jars, yep, they have that too. But the best part about SmokingPipes.com is that it's easy to order from my computer, tablet, or even my smartphone. And if Granddad has trouble with technology, he can always call them at 1-888-366-0345. I heard that. Do you think I'm deaf? I'm the one who told you about SmokingPipes.com, and I had a smartphone before you. You kids today, blah, blah. SmokingPipes.com. Make it your family tradition. 
And we are back, and if you remember the last time we had uh, the McNeils on, uh, Mary was telling us stories, and then Mike was regaling us stories of uh, Gaddafi. Well, we uh, took a break there, and when we where we pick up here is me asking Mike and Mary a question about their business. So here it is. Uh, was there a moment where you two realized that McClellan was going to be successful? Do you, do you remember a moment in particular? Oh, yeah, I remember. I, I want to describe it. When we were $5 from the street, literally, I was sitting in an apartment in 89 before we were married and all that, and I had met the the what I call the big boys down in North Carolina and we'd gone there and, and met him at the beach at Carolina beach and all that. And I figured out how much they were going to help us. I said, Maria, we're going to finally make some money, not big, but we're going to make some with their help. And it, it, it was really in 89. And I said, if we, work really hard and don't let up. And these guys help us get the stuff we need, the Oriental. We're, we're on the road now. So we sat there for 10 years completely penniless, basically, and then she had some debt from the bank that we paid off quickly. But that that's really when I realized we stay on this and nothing happens. you got to realize there's outside forces that, that can trip you up and you had nothing to do with it. It's just mergers, this, that, and the other thing, or guys disappear on you that, you know, can derail you. And we came close about a million times, but we just stayed on it in 89. That's when I realized, and I, I did numbers for it of the calculator to dashes. I don't believe it. I don't believe it. It can't be true. It can't. I said, it is true. If we stay on it, We'll be fine, and we'll be creative, and we'll do all the stuff. And yeah, it is, Brian. You, you sit there and work your brains out, and then twenty years later, you're or thirty, you're okay. You know, you still have challenges constantly. You don't know what the government's going to do or or not do, and you don't know what the companies are going to do. Uh, when Diamond took Standard over in a hostile takeover and fired the three fifty, I talked about before. It's so clannish down there that they didn't go to lawyers and this and that at Raleigh because somebody'd see them. They chartered a yacht and went 60 miles out in the international water to discuss it and do the deal. That's why my guys, even the vice president of the company, didn't know it. Yeah. It was done off. If, if this two groups ended up at lawyers in Raleigh or somewhere else, there's so many tobacco guys in, they'd see them. And if they saw them together, they'd go, well, what's going on? And it would be all, I'm telling you, in some of these towns in North Carolina, if you buy a new pair of shoes, everybody knows about it. And uh, on your restaurants, everything back then, everybody knew, you know, how much their house cost and where they lived and cars they drive. It's not like Kansas City or New York or something. Nobody knows anything. They pay attention at down there. Boy, you watch them, you see some guys walking to law office from two different companies. Something's wrong. Why are they doing it? Then it's everywhere. Mary they did it out in international water. Mary, was there a moment for you when you knew it was that McClellan was gonna make it? 
Me? Yep. Well, th- that was not the moment, the one that Mike <laughs> yeah. described, because I didn't believe it. At that point, uh, in 89, uh, we were still in debt, and the uh, cigar boom had not kicked in. It hadn't even begun, I don't think. Uh, that really raised all boats as, as for the retailers. Everybody was suffering at that time so many of the retailers had changed their their lineup of products they were all into these bubble fairies and strange little things <laughs> instead of tobacco products and uh it, it was awful and i was scared i was really more scared than i had ever been because i had been away from my my roots my journalistic roots long enough uh, that you know, the computer was beginning to uh, to have an effect. And I had one at home that was a hand-me-down from my lawyer that had these big five-inch by five-inch floppy disks. Yeah. And it seemed like almost every time I touched the, the keyboard, all this Greek lettering came up. I was scared to death at the thing. <laughs> So <laughs> I, not seeing at that moment in my life uh, an opportunity in tobacco, I thought, I've got to get back to, to what I studied to know. I've got to, I've got to bec- you know, re- refresh myself. So it happened that our factory uh, in that uh, day was on Baltimore, which was just about three blocks from the headquarters of the Kansas City Star, the daily newspaper. And in those days, the Star was the evening paper, and they had a morning paper, the Times. Well, I went down there and and, uh, applied for a job, and they put me on as a uh, copy editor for the Times. So when I left work at McClellan about 5 o'clock in the evening, or maybe 4, I would uh, go right walk over to the to the Kansas City Star, and I would work until like ten at night, and I did that for for several months, and then uh, and that was great because their computers were really more understandable, and uh, and I kind of began to have, feel a little confidence, but then the the cigar thing. It turned, you know, we started getting more business. Things were doing better. And uh, uh, I uh, I was paying off the debt. <laughs> and so by 91, I think, we paid it off. And I went to the bank. I was so thrilled. And uh, by golly, they didn't even shake my hand. <laughs> I thought I would I have did. fireworks. I did. I shook your hand. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yeah, more than once. <laughs> yes, I no, guess it was, it was. It was a long. It was Paying a off long, that debt is when I yeah felt better. No, but that, that's that's interesting. Yeah, it, it's fascinating that you look at the timeline of. A couple of your most popular products being Frog Morton in 93 and Christmas Cheer in 92. And then you've got Cigar Aficionado coming out in 1993 or 94. And really the cigar boom takes off. And and you're right. The, you know, the tobacco shops were making so much money at that point that, you know, there was more people walking in the stores and they were more open to buy stuff. And stores That's were right. opening up all over the place. 
And they'd say, all right, well, we've got to sell, we're going to sell cigars and we do need to, yeah, I guess we should have some pipes and pipe tobacco stuff too. Again, it was done luck, Brian. We've hit, we, my last night had so much done luck. If I wrote it all down, you'd call me a liar. I mean, here's the boom. You remember back at the old trade shows, there's like two humidor makers. Then it turns into 50 humidor makers. (laughs) Now they all ended up going out. There are the girls half naked holding humidors out of the. It's like, man, this place has gone crazy. They're all gone now. We're probably back to two. But it really propelled the shops to open up and they would take our pipe tobacco and a lot of the guys go, I don't know what I'm doing with this, but I just ought to have it. So it really tender box back that before the boom, they were really all the tender boxes were going to convert over to the bubble fairy slash dragon holding a crystal uh, gift stores. They were going to get rid of cigars and everything until the boom hit. And then the place went crazy <laughs> again, saving pipe tobacco from you know and 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 all the retailers were helped by the you know guys spending 900 to a thousand a month on cigars they were waiting in line like a 7-eleven at the stores i saw them doing it it was shocking and it yeah. kind of started in 89 i guess lee iacocca and these other guys started smoking arnold and all started smoking these cigars and everything since 92 it really kind of started in 89 and and just we didn't, uh, we didn't notice it. One mistake I'll tell the, the listeners that I made. <laughs> well, there's a couple uh, I, that I'll talk about, but go ahead. Well, yeah, <laughs> Robbie Levin, I think, started Ash and Cigar, I believe, in '85. You could correct me if I'm wrong. But Carlos Fuente Jr. came up to me at the artist before the boom, and he said, "Mike, we really admire your emblem and your reputation. We'd like to make cigars for you." Of course, I had $10, and I said, well, I don't think I can handle it, and I passed that up. I might have been Robbie Levin Jr. at at this point, but I, 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 you know, I was terrified of my own shadow then. I didn't have the money. I should have said yes and then figured it out later, but I didn't know anything about cigars. I mean, Carlos obviously does, since he's kind of the king out there. But there was another thing I passed up because I just, I had, I don't know if I even had a clue what I was doing at my own company half the time. Yeah. But, you know, people admired our reputation. In fact, at one point, Wayne, when David the show was chairman, they were owned by Rothmans and Dunhill and all that. He wanted to buy McClellan and ship me to Tucker, Georgia to run the Tucker, Georgia plant that Phil built. (laughs) That scared me. And, uh, you know, he's at the show with his 30 salesmen. He brought the Rothman Cigarette Brothers over to me. They were multi-billionaires, Brian, when a when billion dollars was a lot of money back then. It's not now, but it <laughs> used to be. I'll still and, take it. And I, I, I remember this retailer standing in front of me talking. He kind of notices it in the back of him, and they're standing there, and he goes, should I get it? It was Harry Hunt. Should I get out of here? I said, well, don't run off like a chicken here. You act like we're finishing a conversation. Because he knew it was some big shots back there. And then they walked up. I, I tell you, the first thing I looked at was was the Rothman Brothers suits. I thought, my God, where did they get that material? Because, you know, you never saw one back then. It, those suits were probably $5,000 a piece. 
and their shoes were probably three thousand. They didn't go buy them in a store. They had them made. I thought, my God, did, did guys create some kind of special silkworm farm? You know, they just scared me. They they came up to meet me, and then they had a meeting later. Phil was at it, and he called me after the meeting, and they asked Phil, well, how much? How much tobacco do you think McClellan makes? What do you think Mike's doing? And Phil made up some stupid high number, which we weren't even close to. And they and the, and the Rothman said, "That's it. That's it. <laughs> we don't want this. This is crazy talk." And David said, "No, no. The reputation. We get Mike down there, and and all this. And they just didn't want to do it." And Phil called me and told me about the meeting, how he'd lied about how much we did. He said, Mike, don't do this anyway. You don't want to, you make it on your own. You don't want to get entrenched with, with the rich South African guys. <clears throat> I am, and you don't want to do this unless you have to. I said, well, if we don't make it, Phil, I'll, I'll, I'll go down there. And, and then David sent Steve Cuffler <clears throat> over to me. He took Phil's place when he left and went to consolidate it. And Steve said, look, we know it's kind of awkward since you work for your wife, but if anything happens, we want you at Wayne. I said, well, Steve, if I do end up out on the street, yeah, I'm coming down. So it made me feel good. I at least had somewhere to go, you know, that was tobacco relate. You know, it was the tobacco, the biggest one out there. Yeah, let, 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 luckily, wait, it, luckily it never happened. Hang on a second. Let's talk about your wife for a minute, just so that people don't think that you're absolutely crazy. Uh, <laughs> her name is Mary, but yet you call her Maria. What? Why? Why? Mary? Yeah. <laughs> Have you met her? <laughs> it was just a nickname she had years ago, so I call her Maria. And I know and her... Man. And and I know her nickname for you. We can't say that on the radio show, so we so we'll we, we'll bleep that out. Uh, Good idea. Yeah. Uh, one. I have one. I have one final note that I want to ask both of you, and I want both of you to answer. Uh, and it and it is: What do you think? Or you know, in the past, what are the greatest? non-McClellan tobaccos you've ever smoked? Well, the the brand that we were very uh, taken with back in the Diebel days uh, was Rattray. We yeah. loved those products. And it seemed to us that back then the quality was going through a diminishment uh, and we were just disappointed and heartbroken about it and we tried very hard to to find leaf and come up with blends that were like the ones we loved that uh, were better we we uh, you know we had that confidence that comes with <laughs> enthusiasm and ignorance combined <laughs> yeah and and we just went for it and we we tried and tried and and we we experimented uh tremendously and uh and it worked out michael it was just effort well the inspiration i i remember uh 
I don't know what it was, six, seven years ago, Quentin Wells, who's president of Kansas City Pipe Club, came up to me and said, hey, there's a can of red, Bat Race Red Wrap Reef for sale. I think it's $180, an old one, really old. And he said, will you go in half with on it with me? I said, well, yeah, Quentin, go get it now before somebody gets it. So we got it. We opened up the table of Chicago Pipe Show in the tent, which I recommend everybody, any pie smoker, go to Chicago Pipe Show. It's great. We opened that thing up, and the astonishing thing was I expected it to be very dark. You open up these old 58-year-old cans, and they're dark. This thing really hadn't gone down in color that much, and the red was still in there. And we lit it up, and it was magnificent, and everybody's looking at me. Like, what? I said, I'm embarrassed to be in this business. I mean, it was <laughs> it was still sweet. I I just, and Quentin, I, and we got two bowls each. Was it worth $90 for two bowls? Yes, it was. I'd do it again in a heartbeat. It was just, and, you know, it could have been a fluke, and not all of them tasted like that. I don't know. You know, not every can you do tastes like the cans you did back when or in the future i mean it's always a changing crop although what we would try to do is we found leaf and we'd buy it up you know if it if if i calculate it would last seven years we bought it all we we didn't go (laughs) crop shopping every year i mean you'd look but a lot of years you wouldn't find exactly what you want so we'd buy some of the last seven years and uh I, i i admired alfred dunhill tremendously i think He's, to me, probably the king of the universe when it comes to what he did. And uh, Charles Ratray, uh, Dunhill, the Carreras brothers that made the Craven, Craven cigarettes. I mean, it was just another league. And uh, if I had a time machine, Brian... Of course, there's other stuff I do, but I would directly go. <laughs> first place I'd go is Carreras in, say, 1920. Of course, I have to change my clothes, but I'd walk in there and beg. I don't beg very often, but I'd beg to go in the factory, and I'd, I'd get coffee, and I would stand there and smoke Cravens and smoke Craven pie tobacco until I'd probably have to go lie down somewhere. <laughs> Just standing in the air in the factory and black cat cigarettes. I never had black cat cigarettes. I would do it. I mean, I, I, boy, I told Butera once, man, if we had a time to see, we could go back and hit all these guys. He'd, he'd jump on board with me. You know, we just go back and smoke our brains out. What I want to say at the end of this is that we quit. Our last shipment was February 28th of this year. It seems like years ago now because I don't do it anymore. But what I wanted to say is the finest people I ever met in my life are in this industry. The Leaf guys in North Carolina we're still friends with, and I talk to them all the time. And I probably ought to move. They always want me to move down there, but she won't do it. But the, and some of the finest guys we've ever met, including you, Brian. Uh-oh. And the pie smokers are some of the finest people that we've ever met in our lives. We love the shows. We're going to keep going to them. We're going to try to support them. Not as a company, but just personal. 
and we really admire all the hard work the guys put into the shows. And I recommend to all the pie smokers that if you have never been, you really need to try to go to them and you'd find a lot of people that'll be enjoyable to talk to and they know all about pipes and tobacco and they love the same things you love and where do you find that if you're a pie smoker out there smoking on your porch and there's not 10 pipe smokers around you go go to the shows and you'll you'll make new friends within 15 minutes because they're just a bunch of great guys it's a great hobby and i appreciate all the support over the four decades that we received from most of the pie smokers. They always were encouraging to us. They always gave us ideas to try and different things that they were looking for. And it just worked out really well. So I appreciate all the help we've had from everybody and the support all these 40 years. And that is where we wrap up story times with the McNeils. Um, you know, I want to thank Mike and Mary for sitting down. I want to thank them for you know creating what is my favorite tobacco. And yes, I'll be sad when it's gone. But uh, more importantly, Mike and Mary have become really dear friends of ours, uh, going all the way back to Mary and I eating cake for a weekend together to a trip to Disney World together. And uh, now they're clients of mine. And uh, we've got a trip to Disneyland together coming up in a few months here. Uh, you know, yes, McClellan left a hole in the market, but you know, everything's got to eventually come to an end. Yeah. Someday this podcast will come to an end. Not for a while though. Uh, but again, thanks to Mike and Mary for sitting down with me and spending, uh, what turned out to be about, uh, three hours on the phone and just telling their stories. And if you ever get a chance to uh, get to the Chicago pipe show, Track them down, find them. Uh, coming up, I know Mike will be at the St. Louis Pipe Show. I believe that's February 16th. So you can find him there. Just, you know, ask him a question and stand back and he'll tell you the answer. All right, we will be back in just a minute. Italians have always been known for their aesthetic passion. It's their birthright, their legacy. And just like Savinelli, it continues to grow and evolve. It is ever-changing. Milan, 1876. Achille Savinelli set out to change the way the world viewed smoking pipes, opening one of the world's first specialist tobacco shops. From one small storefront to a factory that delivered handmade pipes all over the world, the legacy he forged became one filled with success and prestige. Achilles' dream is carried on today by his family, who continues the Savinelli legacy. Each year, Savinelli debuts a series of new, forward-thinking designs, comprised of quality-crafted pipes shaped from some of the best briar in the world. Behind every beautiful object, there's a story. Start your own chapter. Visit your local tobacconist or premium online dealer today. This is Internet Radio. And we are back, and again, this is where I'd normally tell you to go shop for something, but you know, can't buy McClellan stuff on the, well, you can't find it new anymore. All right, so uh, we've got a little bit extra time, and uh, again, Greg Selman, who sent in the, uh, uh, who sent in the Ask the Pipe Maker question, uh, back right after Christmas, sent me a couple of uh, 
couple of Christmas radio ads that he extracted out of a uh, out of a radio show from uh, from Dragnet. So I thought it'd be fun for us to sit back and listen to him here. This first one is a Christmas ad for Velvet Pipe and Cigarette Tobacco. Let that merry tune remind you to get him the big Christmas humidor of smooth, sure, fresh velvet pipe and cigarette tobacco. It's a double pleasure to any smoker when you give this generous humidor a velvet. It smokes cool and sweet in both pipe and cigarette. In every way, the gift for him is a Christmas humidor of velvet, America's smoothest smoke. Be sure to listen to Dragnet next week. Your tune for the stars on NBC. I love that the ad had the old NBC, uh, the, the old NBC uh, theme song there, or uh, I guess I don't know, jingle. I guess is what you'd call it. But imagine a uh, a humidor. So I'm not I'm not sure what that is, but that's got to be like one of those tobacco boxes, and maybe it was specially decorated for Christmas. And remember, a lot of those old pipe tobaccos were sold as roll your own cigarette tobaccos or pipe tobaccos, and that's just the way they sold them. Uh, this next one is for the tobacco that my great-grandfather smoked, and it was the only tobacco he would smoke. And if you gave him anything else, he'd look at you funny and say, well, it's not Granger Rough Cut. So that was his favorite. Smoked a can every week. And here's the Granger ad. This Christmas, give the gift that makes every pipe smoker happy. A Christmas humidor of mellow Granger. Granger is made just for pipes by the tried and true Wellman method. Rough cut to smoke mild and cool, and humidor packed to stay ever fresh. Yes, make this Christmas a merry Christmas for all the pipe smokers on your list. Give them each a Christmas humidor of Mallow Granger. Listen to Dragnet next week, and be sure to hear Morton Downey tonight on NBC. And if you notice, this Christmas humidor is filled with Granger, which is only made for pipe smokers. Why? Because of the cut. The cut would not work in papers. It's a rough cut. It was kind of a, uh, a you know, kind of a, a, it would tear the papers. So only Granger rough, Granger rough cut was only for the pipe guys. But again, we got to hear the NBC chimes again. All right, for music, because we've got a little extra time, my friend Jody Davis, pipe maker and guitarist for the Newsboys, well, the band's got a new song, so we're shifting gears, and we're going with the Newsboys United new song that was just released last week. You can find it on Spotify. You can download it on uh, app on uh, iTunes or Apple Music, whatever they're calling it now. Anyway, uh, give, them a, give them a follow. Give them some listens. Here is... The uh, the song is Greatness of Our God. From the dawn of creation This world has been crying out for hope For a hero to save us for the supernatural But there is only one God Who can save the day So clear the stage Prepare the way Cause heaven and earth are singing Glory, hallelujah Let the whole world sing
And again, that is my friend and pipe maker and guitarist, Jody Davis, on lead guitars with uh, the Newsboys United. And I know there's more music coming after that one. Three little words. You've got mail. And that makes me wonder, what what is Meg Ryan doing today? God, I kind of miss her. Uh, anyway, in the mailbag, let's go over to iTunes, where we've had a couple of reviews recently and a couple of comments, so we greatly appreciate those, and if you get a chance, please go to iTunes and uh, leave us a rating and a review. That would be wonderful. Uh, the first one is from Clamhammer69, and he says, Love the informative content, interviews, and music pieces the host puts on. One of the three podcasts I regularly listen to while at work or relaxing at home. Small bit of advice from a former radio broadcaster. Switch to matches or use the cough button while using a lighter during interviews. Keep up the great work, Chris. Uh, well, Chris, that kind of started, you know, started off as a accident when I was first using the, uh, the first recording setup and didn't know what I was doing. And then I kind of liked it because it reminded people that, you know, while I'm sitting and having these conversations of interviews, I'm sitting and smoking. So for a podcast, uh, you know, I can't really blow smoke in your face, but I can at least occasionally let you know. Now with the new, uh, you know, with the new recording software and the new microphone and everything, it doesn't really pick it up that much, but yeah, it just kind of became a signature. And then uh, SW, SW right or S right six, Depends on how you spell right, W-R-I-G-H-T or R-I-G-H-T. Writes, uh, Brian and Kevin, thank you for this excellent, always entertaining show. Find it very helpful as I grow in my understanding of pipes, tobaccos, and the pipe community. Happy smokes. You are welcome. And remember, if you're on iTunes and you hit subscribe, then you have access to all 334 shows now. Uh, If you're just skimming on iTunes, you'll only get the last 300, but they're all there for you to listen to anytime, download, re-download, listen to. And I have actual proof that on our little Google Home devices, yep, I played the Pipes Magazine radio show earlier this week just by telling the little Google device to do it. So we're all over the place, plenty of ways to get it. Please make sure and share it with your friends and let them know. Uh, JDRF Auction, we are doing it. The auctions will start towards the end of March, early April. I already have heard from a couple of folks that are sending in uh, some of their own estate pipes. And we've got one pipe maker that was a past guest on the show that is going to auction off a commission. You pick the shape. You talk with him. He's going to auction off a commission. All you have to do is just reach out to me, Brian, at PipesMagazine.com. Anyway, Facebook. Twitter, I don't care how you get how you get the message to me. We need to get as much product in as possible to fill up with Steve. And Steve, again, has volunteered his uh, pipe stud services. So we appreciate that. Uh, remember, all this money, every little bit of it, 100% of the items net auction goes to the JDRF, the Juvenile Diabetes Research Foundation. My daughter has had type 1 diabetes since uh, age 9, and hard to believe she'll be 22 coming up. So, uh, you know, we need to find a cure for that. The long-term, you know, the the long-term 
the, the long-term conditions that she can deal with besides eyesight and feet and hand problems and of course you know all the internal organs you know all these kids that turn into adults you don't grow out of type 1 diabetes you have to continuously monitor your blood sugar and give yourself insulin and monitor what you eat to try to do the best you can eyesight becomes an issue uh, it also helps anybody else that's dealing with an autoimmune disease because type 1 diabetes is an autoimmune disease. So those with, uh, with lupus, rheumatoid arthritis, psoriatic arthritis, psoriasis like I have, any of those autoimmunes, this is all autoimmune research and every bit that we raise goes directly to JDRF. Uh, in the past, I think we've raised a little bit over eleven, twelve thousand dollars, and it has been greatly appreciated. We're going to need you all to step up again, and uh, once the auctions start, we'll also have a direct uh, cash donation page. So if you just want to donate five, ten bucks, we'll take that too. We appreciate it. All right, enough of that. In just a moment, a highly loaded rant. This is Phil Morgan, General Manager of Missouri Meerschaum Corncob Pipes in Washington, Missouri. Our mission since 1869 has been to produce great smoking pipes that anyone can afford. We guarantee our pipes won't be your most expensive, but they just might be the ones you smoke the most. At Missouri Meerschaum Company, we don't just sell our corncob pipes. We grow them, make them, and smoke them. Missouri Meerschaum, Washington, Missouri, since 1869. If you smoke cigarettes, well, stop buying anything from Philip Morris International or Altria, their U.S. company, because uh, my friend Dan Locklear sent me an ad that apparently ran five times in the Wall Street Journal last week or a week and a half ago, and it says, paid advertisement, a tobacco company that actually cares about health? How did that happen? Question mark. Andre Kalanzopoulos, CEO of Philip Morris International, wants his company to stop selling cigarettes. He wants his company to stop selling cigarettes because he wants you to buy these uh, heat-not-burn products that they're trying to sell. And uh, one section of this article that I really like is, uh, uh, well, it says in here, smoke-free products do not burn the tobacco. And because of this, we expect to see significant lower levels of harmful chemicals generated by such products. Whether that proves to be the case will be a matter to be assessed through science for each specific product. I'm hopeful that as more and more smokers demand better alternatives, regulators will put the right regulatory frameworks in place. We hear the term reduced risk being used for such products. Are they not completely safe? So essentially what they're doing is uh, Philip Morris International is putting out these ads all around the world in newspapers trying to get regulators to allow them to do their heat not burn product or a vaping type product. It's actually tobacco in a little dense rod that goes into a heater device and you just inhale the fumes off of it instead of or the uh, 
you know, the, the, the residuals off of it. Now, this is the same company that, if you remember, oh, 10 years back or so, where it said, uh, Philip Morris, where we care about kids, and they spent a whole bunch of money campaigning to keep kids off of cigarettes. Well, now they're campaigning that they don't want to sell cigarettes anymore. They want to sell this uh, heat not burn thing, and they've got CDC reports in here. Anyway, if you get a chance and you want to read some really well-spun bull hockey stuff, uh, get your hands on one of these ads from uh, Philip Morris International. And, you know, it, it says it says if you're serious about getting people to stop smoking, why not just stop selling cigarettes today? Well, <laughs> Philip Morris, if you're really serious about it, why don't you shut the damn company down and go away? There you go. That's my answer to you. All right, uh, comments, questions, email me. Got a lot of stuff going on in this show, so uh, thanks to all who sent in stuff. Greg, Jason, thanks to uh, Jeff for joining me. Thanks to Mike and Mary for the final time, and thank you all for listening. Until next time. Just sing a song and think about sunny weather. Happy the number one most impactful artist of our generation. I am Shakespeare in the flesh, Walt Disney.